Oral arguments yesterday at the Supreme Court. Everyone is very, very nervous about what this court might decide. Come June, we've still got a couple months to worry. Maybe the worry might mutate like the Omicron variant is. Super mutating even. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Washington Examiner says... Justices in the Supreme Court's six-member conservative majority on Wednesday raised substantial doubts about the jurisprudence behind the 1973 case establishing abortion rights in the United States, Roe v. Wade, during arguments over a Mississippi law that bans abortions after uh, 15 weeks gestation. So, um, the uh, Solicitor General from Mississippi, Scott Stewart, he went up first and... um, just, he gave his opening statement, and then uh, Justice Breyer started asking him about stare decisis, about the precedent and all of this. And then Stewart concluded, he says, well, as you know, Your Honor noted, this is a hot, difficult issue for everybody. It's why it belongs to the people. And I think that the conclusion the court drew from that, that it couldn't provide a good enough example that it would look on principle, those conclusions are, with respect, Justice Breyer, mistaken. The, uh, the last 30 years has not seen any calming of that. It's been very difficult, uh, sorry, it's been very different than some of the court's other controversial decisions. And here's a good comparison, by the way. The gay marriage decision, which, by the way, I, like, I don't have any problem with gay people wanting to marry. I did not like the ruling because I did not like this ruling either. And it's much in the same context. I don't like the court uh, making up justifications and calling it law. So I'm not crazy about it, but look at what happened after the gay marriage ruling occurred, right? We we still don't see, we're not seeing the same sort of turmoil and uh, agitation around this issue as we still see 50 years later over abortion, which might be an indication that the court made a mistake, right? Okay, so then uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, Uh, Sotomayor, then weighs in on the watershed cases. What hasn't been at issue in the last 30 years is the line that Casey drew of viability. There has been some difference of opinion with respect to undue burden, but the right of a woman to choose, the right of, to control her own body, has been clearly set for uh, since Casey and never challenged. You want us to reject that line of viability and adopt something different. Fifteen justices over um, 50 years have, or I should say 30, since Casey. Right, and just for clarification, 50 years almost since Roe and 30 years since Casey, that's what the different time frames are. Have reaffirmed that basic viability line. Four have said no, two of them members of this court, but 15 justices have said yes, of varying political backgrounds. Now, um, the sponsors of this bill, the House bill in Mississippi, said we're doing it because we have new justices. 
the newest ban that Mississippi has put in place, the six-week ban, the Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. Okay, so first off, I love the assumption here built into her narrative that uh, that we don't already view the court like this. Um, I do, and I have for a very long time. Will this institution survive the stench? That's, of course, the, the money quote that everybody is running with. You've heard it in all of the newscasts. You know, will this institution survive the stench? Because it it plays to the fears that the left is trying to stoke that you can't overturn this um, this you know, 50-year-old ruling or the 30-year-old opinion, you can't overturn those things because if it does, then you're just doing it for political purposes, as if the initial rulings themselves were not the very same thing. So here's, well, actually, Stewart tries to answer and then he gets cut off. I, I, I don't see how it is possible. It's what Casey talked about when it talked about watershed decisions. Some of them Brown versus Board of Education, it mentioned, and this one have such an entrenched set of expectations in our society that this is what the court decided, this is what we will follow, that the that we won't be able to survive if people believe that everything including New York versus Sullivan, um, I could name any other set of rights, including the Second Amendment, by the way. There are many political people who believe the court erred in um, seeing this as a personal right as as opposed to a militia right. If people actually believe that it's all political, how will we survive? How will the court survive? Uh, Justice Sotomayor, I I think the concern about appearing political makes it absolutely imperative that the court reach a decision well-grounded in the Constitution, in text, structure, history, and tradition, and that carefully goes through the stare decisis factors we've laid out. No, it didn't. Casey went through every one of them. You think it did it wrong. That's your belief. But Casey did that. And you haven't added much to the discussion in your papers as to the errors that Casey made um, other than I disagree with Casey. Uh, Justice Sotomayor, maybe I can can highlight two. Uh, Casey gave one paragraph to the workability of Roe. It then adopted the undue burden standard, which is perhaps the most unworkable standard in American law. It gave about three paragraphs, if memory serves, to reliance, which doesn't account for uh, the last 30 years and the changes that have occurred since Casey. Um, it, it, it gave a brief factual view to things that have changed since Roe. Those, of course, uh, are not going to take account of the last 30 years of advancements in medicine, science, all of those things. What are the advancements in medicine? I think it's a, an advancement in, in knowledge and concern about such things as uh, fetal pain, what we know the child is doing and looks like and is fully human you know, from a very early... In, sorry. 
All right. So uh, Sotomayor interrupts more than any of the other justices, by the way, as far as I can tell. Um, she then says, so going back to my question of, you know, what changed in science to show what uh, to show that the viability line is not a real line, that a fetus cannot survive. And I think that's what both courts below said, that you had no expert say that there is any viability before 23 to 24 weeks. And Stewart said, well, the fundamental problem with that viability line, it's not really something that rests on science very much. Uh, very much. It's that viability is not tethered to anything in the Constitution, in history, or tradition. That's what he says when he's saying Casey fails this starry decisis. That's what he's talking about. That when you try to go through and say, well, you know, the precedent, the binding precedent are these things. He's saying, but it, that viability line was arbitrary. It was made up. It's a quintessentially legislative line. The legislature could think that viability makes sense as a place to draw the line, but it's very reasonable for another legislature to draw the line somewhere else. Instead of 20 weeks, it's 26 weeks or it's... 15 weeks, whatever, like all of those lines could be drawn differently by any legislature. And so it's not tethered to science. So one of the criticisms that I've seen is that, oh, you know, you got the Supreme Court members and three of them were appointed by Trump and Trump only got, you know, less than half of the popular vote, as if that matters. We don't elect presidents by the popular vote. But Guy Benson from Fox News points out that Clinton's 43% popular vote victory, right? Like, that allowed him to put RBG, right? The notorious RBG on the high court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, as well as Breyer. Um, and the person who wrote Roe v. Wade, Harry Blackman, was also appointed by a president elected with 43% of the vote. So this idea that like, oh, this uh, ruling would be illegitimate because Trump didn't get the popular vote is just, it's, it's nonsense. Okay. And people who are making that argument, they are either being dishonest or uh, they are exhibiting a profound level of dumbassery. So uh, Justice Sotomayor, in her uh, questioning of the solicitor from uh, Mississippi, Scott Stewart, uh, said that there's so much that's not in the Constitution, including the fact that we have the last word. And she cites the case, you know, Marbury v. Madison. Um, there's nothing in the Constitution that says the Supreme Court is the last word on what the Constitution means. It was totally novel at that time, she says. And yet, what the court did was reason from the structure of the Constitution that that's what was intended. Why do we know? Uh, why do we now say that somehow Roe and Casey are so unusual that they have to be overturned? When you're going beyond the Constitution, this court has looked closely to. No, what I'm saying is they didn't go beyond the Constitution. Your Honor, they did not deduce those from the structure of the Constitution. They they pointed to the Fourteenth Amendment and and reasoned that um, privacy in Roe, lib- autonomy and similar values in Casey led to a right to abortion. That's not how this court traditionally does things, even, including in the vast run of cases that Your Honor ran through. The court looks to history and tradition, and here those decisively reject the proposition that states cannot legislate comprehensively on abortion before, after viability, and all throughout. So it's, it's history and tradition, Your Honor. So there you go. That's the, that's the core of the argument, right? She's saying, oh, well, you know, we, 
We know it's not, you know, explicitly spelled out in the Constitution, but it's in the structure of the Constitution. And the, the counter argument is, no, it's not. No, it is not. He says there were, uh, these other watershed cases provide clear rules on the matters that they examine and that none of them include purposeful termination of a human life. He went on to argue that the viability line discounts and disregards states' interests. And that prompted a response question from Justice Sotomayor. How is your interest anything but a religious view? No, my um, the issue of when life begins has been hotly debated by philosophers since the beginning of time. It's still debated in religions. Um, so when you say this is the only right that takes away from the state the ability to protect a life, that's a religious view, isn't it? Because it assumes that a fetus is life at when? You're not drawing your... When do you suggest we begin that life? Your Honor, I... I, What? Aside from... I'm putting it aside from religion. I'll I'll try to... I I think there might be more than one question, and I'll do my very best, Justice Sotomayor. (laughs) Um, I I think this court in Gonzales pretty clearly recognized that before viability, we are talking with unborn life with a human organism. And I think the philosophical questions Your Honor mentioned, all those reasons that they're hard, they've been debated, they're, they're, they're important, they're, those are all reasons to return this to the people, because the people should get to debate these hard issues. Okay, Justice Alito, uh, a little bit later, then uh, followed up and said, uh, are there any secular philosophers and bioethicists who take the position that the rights of personhood begin at conception or at some point other than viability? And Stewart said, yeah, I think so. There's a wide array of views on this. It's not tied to a religious view. And if it was tied to a religious view, then it would run right into some of the religious exercise jurisprudence, right? If you're going to make the argument that this is strictly and solely due to religious views, then how are you not running afoul of people's free exercise of religion, right? I mean, you you got all sorts of, but, the, but that's never been part of any of the uh, Roe or Casey decisions. So, it's it, of course, this is absurd. And it's kind of an embarrassing question to have heard a Supreme Court justice ask, <laughs> because as one... Uh, who took quite a bit of philosophy, I can tell you uh, that it is not something uh, something that is uh, that is simply in the purview of religious philosophers. Okay, secular people talk about this topic as well. In fact, all Sotomayor would have had to have done was to step outside the courthouse and look at the people that were all dressed alike, whether they were all in the red robes. <laughs> from the what was it what uh handmaiden's tale right uh but more specifically the the people who were dressed all in black who were out there guzzling uh pills the uh the RU486 the morning after uh, abortion pill they're out there uh, gu- just chomping down on these pills like look at us we're having abortions like you're going to tell me that's not like a religious cult kind of experience come on like, people can have this, these views and these discussions. It doesn't require a religious viewpoint to induce a certain outcome on it.
All right, let's see how this we'll see how this goes. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Hey, Pete. You know, congratulations on your uh, transformation. That's a that's a godsend. It really is. And I and I'm speaking from experience. I'm I'm five foot nine. August second, I was two eighty five. Oh wow! Yeah, that's uh, and let me I, tell you something. Five five nine two eighty five. That's that's math that doesn't work. And <laughs> that's the, I was I was yeah. in, I mean I was in a bad place. And I didn't even realize. It. And then I changed jobs and. The job I changed to was a very physical job, and um, constantly on the move, lifting things. From August second to today, I've taken eighty-two pounds off. Very good. And I and I will tell you, I, I was I was real close to doing the PhD weight loss, and when I after about a month of doing the work, doing this job, and I'd taken you know fifteen, eighteen pounds off, I thought, okay, I'll still hold off on that. Mm-hmm. So now I'm sitting right at about, um, I don't know, 200 pounds. And, yeah. um, so you, you probably, well, yeah, but how old are you? Yeah, so when am I going to be able to notice you've taken all this weight off? And I went, what? And, you know, she's 18, and I said, what I want you to do is uh, YouTube the Three Stooges and see what they used to do to each other when people make comments like that. They poke each other in the eye. Mm-hmm. But, um I'm hats off to you, man. Keep keep up the good work. I my my whole my whole lifestyle changed, and I, you know I I don't drink anymore. I don't chug coffee anymore. Mm-hmm. I just feel great. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you feel like a million bucks. So yeah, there is a lot of stuff that obviously comes with the uh, the weight loss too, and and this is the problem. Like, I'm, and when people ask me about, it, I'm happy to to talk. Uh, about uh, the different stuff, like so, you're doing uh, way more physical activity. Uh, I meant to ask you, how old are you? I'm 56. Okay, so you're a little, yeah, so you're a couple years older than me. Um, and so, yeah, when you're moving around a lot more, then you're obviously increasing your metabolic burn. Um, I'm still in a fat burn phase. And it, there's, look, there's components here that are not going to be unfamiliar, right? You've got the, uh, the ketosis phase. You've got sort of a keto kind of a caveman diet aspect to it. You know, lots of vegetables, lean proteins, cutting out carbs and the milled products and stuff like that. But everybody's going to be different. And as you get closer to your goal weight, because you want to probably be, I'm assuming, you probably want to knock off like another, what, 20 pounds or so? 30 pounds? Yeah, about 180 yeah. would be ideal for me, I think. I'd, yeah, feel, I'd feel even better. Yeah, we're about the same height, and so uh, I think I'm like five nine, five ten, something like that. And uh, and so they, 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 it's a range. And if you've got more muscle mass, or if you're you're a bigger guy, like if you just got like I hate to say it, but big bones, like seriously, like if you're just built in a different way, then you're going to be able or should be able to carry more mass. So, yeah. yeah. Now I mean, it's just uh, well, I would say, I mean, if you're having a problem dropping the last twenty or thirty, you know, PhD weight loss for like a month would be. Probably, I mean, that would probably do you, you know? Well, you know what? I, I, I haven't ruled it out, and hearing your reinforcement, I think, probably is giving me a little nudge in the right direction. Yes. Ryan, producer Ryan, take this audio. Send it over to PhD Weight Okay, no, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, thanks, Tim. Congrats on the weight loss, too, for you, buddy. I appreciate it, and I'm glad for you, and keep up the good work. Thank you. You, too. All right, take it easy. That's Tim, and uh, no, I, and I love people send me emails too, um, which I love getting as well. And like, it's just live healthier. And while everybody else is running around about COVID, know that you're taking some steps here, right, to better protect yourself with good health. 
So um, now I'm saying uh, on Twitter, Pete, you need to read up on rowing. It is life changing. Here's the row machine I bought a year and a half ago. And then there's a picture of it, and it looks. Oh no, no, I've yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen. I have seen this device. I have. Yeah, I came across. Um, what is it? I came across. There was a book about uh, the Inquisition and some of the torture devices. This is what was in there. I saw it. I saw it <laughs> in the book. There was a sketch. Didn't didn't everybody buy those rowing machines after uh, watching House of Cards? Uh, is that was oh is that yeah probably so <laughs> yeah probably so I will say the rowing machine at the last apartment that we uh, my wife and I were at um, my, uh, Christy loved it Christy loved getting on the rowing machine and it is very good for um, for joints and stuff the best I think is I remember reading this and who knows if it's true I shouldn't even say it but I'll say it what the heck it was uh, swimming is the is, is like the best exercise it 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 has you know very little. Uh, uh, damn it does dam- uh, no damage to your your joints and you know all of that stuff because there's no like you know pounding and like running is so bad and honestly i actually just got one of the newsletters from phd weight loss and nutrition they talked about um exercise and um and they were talking about how a lot of times people start working out and uh, then the body starts requiring more uh you know more calories more energy and a lot of times people start working out and gain weight. Now, I also understand that, you know, muscle weighs more than fat. So if you're putting on muscle, your weight might go up. And my view on it has always been it's more about the mass than it is about the weight number, you know, the poundage number. So I don't know why. I'd... Thank you for the call, Tim, and congrats on the uh, on the, the progress you're making. It's myphdweightloss.com. All right, there you go. So apparently the uh, the picture of this uh, rowing machine was actually yes it was purchased because of House of Cards, but the Twitterer I, I says <laughs> yeah he says this one is twice the cost, or that one is twice the cost of the one I bought. Mine is oak. The House of Cards one is walnut. So there you go. <laughs> uh, oh I. Okay, I just saw that uh, tweet. Um, Alrighty, well, uh, I'll try to get through the uh, topics here. This is the uh, uh, Supreme Court oral arguments made yesterday on the case out of Mississippi, Dobbs v. Uh, Mississippi, or the uh, was it the Jackson County or the City of Jackson Women's Health Organization, and uh, Justice Kavanaugh, or I'm sorry, Justice Kagan is talking about the stare decisis. This is the uh, uh, the binding precedent, right? This is what they talk about. You hear a lot of them in the confirmation hearings. They talk about stare decisis. It means precedent. It means, you know, the things that ruled were ruled upon in the past, you really can't ever change them unless you have a really good reason. And in this case, you got to have a really, really good reason, like a twice as good really, really good reason, maybe four times as good of a reason. Because when they made their ruling, they said, this is like a super case. This is like a special case. It's a watershed case. So you don't just get to change it down the line, even if this is wrong. And Justice Kagan says this is an important principle, stare decisis in any case. But in this case, it is 
especially so. To prevent people from thinking that this court is a political institution that will go back and forth depending on uh, what part of the public yells loudest and, uh, and, and preventing people from thinking that the court will go back and forth depending on changes to the court's membership. And what strikes me about this case, um, and, and, and you come here very honestly um, saying, you know, we want you to discard uh, the entire setup, and then even if you don't do that, we want you to discard the viability line, which you've acknowledged again today, Casey says is the, the heart, the central principle of Roe. And so uh, usually there has to be a justification, a strong justification in a case like this beyond the fact that you think the case is wrong. And I guess what strikes me when I look at this case is that, you know, not much has changed since Roe and Casey. What? That people think it's right or wrong based on the things that they have always thought it was right and wrong for. So the, 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 the rationale behind those cases uh, has something to do with the autonomy and the freedom and the dignity of women to pursue their lives as they wish, to protect their bodily integrity, to make the decisions that are most fundamental to the course of their lives. And, and always in those cases, there was an understanding that there were important interests on the other side in protecting life or protecting the potential for life, whether people saw it one way or the other way, and that there was a difficult question here and a balance to be made. All right, so this is precedent. We can't really change it, and if you uh, try to change it, well, then people are going to accuse you of being political. Now, Kavanaugh says, uh, to be clear, you're not arguing that the court somehow has the authority to prohibit abortion, right? And Scott Stewart said, no, we're not arguing that. And Kavanaugh said, as I understand it, you're arguing the Constitution is silent and therefore neutral on the question of abortion. In other words, that the Constitution is neither pro-life nor pro-choice, or... Uh, on the question of abortion, but it leaves the issue for the people of the states or perhaps Congress to resolve it in the democratic process. Is that accurate? And Stewart says, right. We are saying it's left to the people. Kavanaugh says so. For um, if you were to prevail, I'm reading the transcript here, so I apologize because sometimes it's, you know, it's choppy. Um, he says, were you to prevail, the states, a majority of states or states still could or and presumably would continue to freely allow abortion. Many states, uh, some states would be able to do that, even if you prevail under your view. Is that correct? And he says, yes, that's consistent with our view, Your Honor. It's uh, it's one that allows all interests to have full voice. And many of the abortions we see in certain states that I don't think anybody would think would be moving to change their laws in a more restrictive direction. Uh, later, Stewart then says to um, Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, on the matter of overruling watershed cases. Casey was unusual in that regard. I think it was a mistake, and I think it's something that is uh, kind of in conflict with this uh, court's um, structure and approach as an independent branch looking to the Constitution rather than looking without. And I think that's one reason why 
traditionally the court is, is in some of its greatest overrulings, it's, it's not looking without. It's saying this was wrong. It was wrong the day it was decided. We know it's wrong today. And it's lo- led to all these terrible consequences. We should get, we should get rid of it. All right. Next up, Julie Rickleman, on behalf of the respondents, here is her opening statement. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, Mississippi's ban on abortion two months before viability is flatly unconstitutional under decades of precedent. Mississippi asks the court to dismantle this precedent and allow states to force women to remain pregnant and give birth against their will. The court should refuse to do so for at least three reasons. First, stare decisis presents an especially high bar here. In Casey, this court carefully examined and rejected every possible reason for overruling Roe, holding that a woman's right to end a pregnancy before viability was a rule of law and a component of liberty it could not renounce. The question then is not whether Roe should be overturned, but whether Casey was egregiously wrong to adhere to Roe's central holding. Second, Casey and Roe were correct. For a state to take control of a woman's body and demand that she go through pregnancy and childbirth with all the physical risks and life-altering consequences that brings is a fundamental deprivation of her liberty. Preserving a woman's right to make this decision until viability protects her liberty while logically balancing the other interests at stake. Third, eliminating or reducing the right to abortion will propel women backwards. Two generations have now relied on this right, and one out of every four women makes the decision to end a pregnancy. Mississippi's ban would particularly hurt women with a major health or life change during the course of a pregnancy, poor women who are twice as likely to be delayed in accessing care, and young people or those in contraception who take longer to recognize a pregnancy. To avoid profound damage to women's liberty, equality, and the rule of law, the court should affirm. All right, so I found this to actually be the most compelling part of her argument, and you're going to hear her kind of come back to this uh, a couple different times in in similar fashion, which is forcing uh, a woman to go through the with the pregnancy and have the child, even if the child is put up for adoption. Okay, because that does come out with Amy Coney Barrett uh, in her line of questioning. Uh, but simply uh, forcing the woman to go through with the pregnancy, whether she uh, gives it up for adoption or not, that is in and of itself a violation of the woman's liberty. Of course, this also raises the question, what of the child? We have competing interests. This is what makes it a hard decision, a hard topic, a tough issue. We'll take a listen to some more of the questioning up next. 